Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word today. Lord, we come hungry and thirsty to feast on your word. Lord, please teach us today. We need you. We know that you tell us, Jesus, that apart from you, we can do nothing. Give us ears to hear. Give us a heart that is ready to receive. Open our understanding. Speak to us, God, your people. We are listening. Amen. I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we go through the text together. Matthew continues on in chapter 2, focusing on how God sovereignly protects his son Jesus. Our sermon today is called Jesus, the Son of God. That though Jesus is in eminent danger, God powerfully protects him. God not only brings Jesus into the world, through his power, but he also sustains his son in the midst of challenging circumstances. You see, the Christmas story, it isn't just filled with joy and worship. It's also filled with sacrifice, difficulties, and the necessity of obedience. In these short verses, we see God firmly holding the life of his son, Jesus Christ, in his hands of protection. Amen? And we know that God does not only hold the life of his son, Jesus Christ, in his firm grip, but that he holds our lives in his firm grip also. Amen? We see in verse 13, Matthew tell us. Now when they had departed, Matthew is reminding us of the Magi, of the foreign dignitaries that came from Babylon to worship Jesus as king. And now they have departed and they are beginning to make their way back home. If you remember from verse 12, so just before the verse that we read, starting in 13, if you were to read verse 12, it says, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. God warned the Magi to not go back to Herod and to disclose the exact location of where Jesus was staying. Uh, they obey, and they decide to take a different route home. And it's very likely that this route would have been longer and yet they choose to obey God by not going through Jerusalem in the region of Judea so that they are not detected by King Herod. I want to put this in perspective for us. 
these magi travel 1,500 kilometers coming from Babylon to Bethlehem to worship King Jesus, the King of the Jews. They've traveled by caravan in a group on camels, very likely, through rough and difficult terrain. They've averaged somewhere around 15 kilometers of travel a day. It's taken the Magi somewhere between three and four months to come and see Jesus and worship him. And now they have to travel an even longer route to go back home to obey God's command, which warned them to not go back to Herod. And they have no problem obeying what God asks. One of the key themes that we see in these few verses is that though God is sovereign and in control, obedience to him isn't an easy road. That though God has his hand upon us and he's leading us and guiding us through his word and through the Holy Spirit which abides in us, it doesn't mean that the road before us and when he calls us to obey that it's going to be easy. So, Let's kind of get out of the way that notion sometimes that people have that if you come to God, your life is going to be peachy and roses. Because if you were to look at the life of the 12 apostles after Jesus ascends to heaven and gives them authority and power to go and make disciples and see the New Testament church start, it was not an easy road. If you want to go through first century history, you're going to find out that every apostle died in a very unfortunate, unhappy way. All of them were martyred, every single one of them. Even John, the apostle who wrote Revelation, who many will say, oh, but he lived into his old age. He did. Do you know why? Because when they boiled him alive, he didn't die. And so they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos. And sometimes there is this notion that in our obedience to, to God, we think that the road ahead is going to be easy. Listen, there are times when God asks us to do things that are harder and longer instead of it being the simpler and more efficient way. Listen, we live in a day and age of hacks. And shortcuts. We all want to try to get things done as soon as possible, as quickly as possible. Yet that's not God's way. You see, there are times in our lives when we think our lives are moving slow, but they're actually moving quickly because we're walking in obedience to God. And there are other times when we think our lives are moving fast, but they're actually moving really slow because we're not walking in obedience to God. Do you know why Israel wanders in the desert for so many years? Because of disobedience. You know that the route from Egypt to the promised land, it wasn't a long one. But they circle and circle 
encircled. Do you know why? Though they were so close, they were unwilling to obey. You see, God doesn't view time the way you and I do. God isn't interested in, getting, in giving us shortcuts and hacks. He's more interested in shaping and working in our character than he does care about our comfort. And so these Magi, they have no problem taking a longer route because they know God's told them to do, and they do so joyfully. And yet so often when God asks us to do stuff and we need to sacrifice and there's this need to have to give things up, how do we act? <sighs> God, I don't want to do that. And yet, the harder and the longer way, many times, is the way of God. How many of you guys know the GPS settings we have today in our lives, in our cars, right? right? There's the fastest route. And there's the, the route to avoid traffic. And you see the red lines. And you horror when you look at them. And then you see the orange or the yellow ones. And you're like, oh my God. And we're all hoping for the blue lines, right? And so often in our lives, we think the same way. And we're trying to get everywhere fast and quickly. Yet that's not God's way. God does things slowly, His way, for His ends, for His purposes, because God is preparing us today for what He wants to do in our lives tomorrow. You and I don't see that, but God is preparing and shaping and planning through His sovereign will for what is to come. So that slow, steady route that you're on right now, which you might think is taking you nowhere, is actually taking you to what's next to what God has for you. So don't lose patience. After the departure of the Magi, God speaks to Joseph. Verse 13 then goes on to say, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Matthew is indicating that that very same night, likely after the Magi leave, while sleeping, behold, that this is something that happens suddenly to Joseph. He, he, he's not expecting to be sleeping and to have a dream where the angel of the Lord appears to him. By this time in Matthew already, this is the third time that the angel of the Lord has appeared to someone in a dream. The first one of these times, he's already appeared to Joseph in a dream. The angel came to him while he was sleeping and said to him, because you remember that Joseph was struggling to take Mary to be his wife because she had already conceived a baby. But the Bible says that Joseph was a good man and that he wanted to do the right thing. And so the angel of the Lord comes and assures him of the divine conception that what is in Mary is God's doing and work in her life. We see this in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph already by this time has some understanding of who Jesus is and what he will accomplish. 
Jesus the king has come to save his people from their sins. But yet Joseph doesn't know all of the exact details of how this is going to unfold in the future. But he knows enough that God is already at work in his life. And that God will accomplish his purposes. See, Joseph sees the sovereignty of God in his life. And upon his betrothed wife, Mary. Joseph, by this point, has already had the opportunity to see how other people have responded to the birth of Jesus. According to Matthew, we've already saw last week that the Magi come to worship Jesus as king. And according to Luke, we would see that the shepherds have come to worship Jesus as king. So Joseph knows that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus has come from God. He already has that awareness and understanding. Now, this is the second time that the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream. And this time, the angel gives him an explicit command. Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. You see, God is really clear here with his instructions to Joseph. Rise, wake up! Jacob, Joseph has to come out of his slumber. Wake up. Out of his sleep. To become alert. Because this isn't a time to rest. Because he must take the child Jesus and Mary, his mother, and they must flee to Egypt. See, Joseph now knows where the place that God wants to take him and his family to safety. Egypt in the Bible is a very significant place and it's actually the focus of the prophecy that we're going to get to in verse 15. You see, Egypt was the place where Jacob, who God gave the name Israel, took his family when there was famine in the land. Israel takes his family of 70 people into the land of Egypt because one of his sons, Joseph, is there, who is governor over the land. Joseph and now his whole family have favor with Pharaoh, and they're treated kindly. But then Pharaoh dies, and now there's a new Pharaoh. And what does this new Pharaoh da do? He enslaves the people of Israel. And over the next 400 years, the people of Israel are in bondage as slaves in Egypt. But God uses this time to take that group of 70 people to close to 2 million people. The people cry out to God as they're in slavery in Egypt. And God hears their cry. So what does God do? He raises up a deliverer. Anyone know his name? Moses. Interestingly, we see a parallel with Jesus fleeing for his birth and Moses also fleeing at his birth. You see, Pharaoh had mandated that all the male Jewish boys be killed by being thrown into the river for population control. And yet God found a way to protect the life 
of Moses. Now, we see the same thing with Jesus. We see God, through his hand of providence, protect and provide for Jesus and for his parents that they need to at once go now back to Egypt. You see, Joseph doesn't just know where he must go. God also tells him how long, the duration of time that they are supposed to stay in Egypt. Uh, look at what he says. Remain there until I tell you. The angel tells Joseph that they must stay in Egypt until God tells them. What can Joseph expect? He can expect based on what's happened on past history. <laughs> uh, this is the second time that the angel of the Lord has come to him in a dream. So Joseph can expect that once again, that God, when he has decided according to his sovereign will, will bring the angel to him again one day when he's sleeping. And we actually know that this is what happens because we can see this unfolding in verses 19 and 20. This will be the focus of our text next week. But until then, Joseph and his family, they have to stay put in Egypt. So Joseph has clear instructions to follow. And yet, these are not easy instructions. God is so clear in his word about what he would have us do in our lives. Like, when you come to the word of God, 100% of what you need to do for your daily lives is clearly prescribed and described in the word of God. All that you and I need to do, God has commanded us and told us to do. And so often in our lives, there isn't an issue with clarity. It's not that we don't know exactly what God would have us do. It's that we lack the conviction and the sacrifice because we know that obedience is hard. We need to bow our will to God's will. And this is exactly what we see Joseph doing. You see, obedience is God's tool of protection in our lives. He uses his truth, his word, to protect us from harm. Yes, obedience is hard and it is sacrificial, but it is for our good. How many of you have kids? How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you know that we are God's kids? And we don't really like this part now. Because we all want our kids to obey us. Amen? But then when it comes to us to obeying God, because obedience is hard. Why does Joseph and Mary... And the child Jesus need to flee to Egypt. We'll look at the last part of verse 13. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So we know where they're going. We know how long they need to stay there until God tells Joseph once again. And now we know the reason why they must flee. Up until this point, 
Joseph and Mary, they have no indication that their lives or that the life of Jesus is at risk. This is the first time that Joseph is hearing that he and that his son Jesus primarily is in danger. This is the first that they're being made aware of the situation. They must flee. Herod wants to kill Jesus, the king of the Jews. He is going to do everything in his power to find the location of where Jesus is to have him put to death. Herod is afraid because he knows that now there is a legitimate king, child. And Herod will not go down without a fight. And he will do whatever it takes. Listen, he will even kill little children. This is what we're going to look at next week. Yet God knows what's coming and what Herod is planning on doing. So he carefully and supernaturally directs events to keep Jesus and his parents in his powerful grip. God takes sovereign action to protect the life of Jesus, his son. God's already spoken to the Magi through a dream to not return to Herod. And now he's speaking to Joseph to flee with Mary and Jesus to Egypt in order to preserve the life of his son. So we saw a dream of protection. And now we see an act of obedience in verse 14 to 15a. 14. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. Joseph acts immediately. He awakes from his dream, having heard from God, knowing exactly what to do, and he wastes no time doing it. The same night, Joseph wakes up, he goes to Mary, he awakes her, and they take Jesus, and they begin their journey. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't even wait until morning because he understands the urgency of the situation. You see, Joseph and Mary, they would have had little time to prepare to leave. They would have only had time to grab Jesus, a few things, and leave. Listen. Sometimes, we don't have time to wait and think. We just have to obey. And this is what obedience looks like in our lives. Please, please listen. At times in our lives, we need to have a sense of urgency in our response to God. We can't linger and wait to obey when we feel like it's convenient. You see, we don't have the luxury of just leaving things the way they are. We need to act and to follow through with what God is asking us to do because we have the tendency of putting off the hard and difficult decisions in our lives because we know the sacrifice that is involved. Yet when we put off obedience, we are risking what God has for us. 
his protection, when we become indifferent, is no longer upon us because of our unwillingness to obey. And I, I can't tell you how often I see this. I see people who know, they, who know what to do and yet they don't act. They think things are just going to get better, but they don't. And, and in this situation, we see that there is urgency, right? So God gives an explicit command, super clear what to do. And Joseph isn't like, well, you know, I was going to make pancakes tomorrow morning for my family because it's Saturday. And, you know, we're just going to rest and watch some TV. And then, you know, I'm going to go to the bank, take out some money, get some traveler's checks. I go and get an increase on my visa so that, you know, for spending money. You know, I'm going to try to plan out the best route of getting from here to Egypt. And this is so often what our lives look like, no? Oh, yeah, no, but, you know, today's just not the right day. Or, but, you know, if I do this, it means that's going to happen. And then I got to figure that out too. Yeah. But if you sit there and you do nothing, you are risking God's protection in your life. Because you are indifferent to what God has already clearly told you how many have you of you have ever had a teenage child come up to you and say you know what dad i'm not really sure what cleaning my room looked like and you're like i've been asking you to clean your room since you were four what do you mean you don't know oh but you know god if you could just give me some time you know, it's really a rough Saturday today. You know, playing video games is hard. My thumbs are really hurting me. You know, I got like some homework to do. And as a parent, what do you think? You probably don't think, you just say something, just go clean your room. Because they, it's not a, a matter of whether they know what to do. It's more a matter of whether they want to do it. And so often with us and God, it's exactly the same thing. We need to have a sense of urgency. That when God asks us to do something and it's clear in his word that we do it. When I was 16 years old, I was having the time of my life living in sin. And God made it abundantly clear to me that the girl that I was dating was not the girl for me. I was wasting my life away. On Monday, I went to school. I looked at my girlfriend in the face and I said, it's not you, it's me. I can't be with you anymore. She looked at me as if I was an alien. And I said, listen, I, I just, God is working in my life and I just need to move on and I need to figure out what God has for me before I can be in a relationship. I'm putting you before God. Like I just, and she's like, and I probably at 16 didn't explain myself well. I don't know, but I know what I needed to do. And I said to God, God, the next girl I date, I'm going to marry. She's right there. She was. Because I was done fooling around with my life. 
I didn't want to putz around anymore and just waste time. Now, yes, I understand. I'm a very pragmatic person. I see something to be done, I do it. That's just the way I am. I'm that kind of guy that like, likes to rip the Band-Aid off the wound so that it can heal faster. And I know everybody's not like that because we all got different temperaments, right? We took our leadership team through like some temperament test. It was so much fun. We really enjoyed it. It was so good. But we're different, right? But my brothers, my sisters, my friends, we can't be indifferent to the truth of God's word. There are moments where God tells us to do stuff and there's urgency to do it and we got to go and we got to do it. Oh, but what about the consequences? You don't think God's got you? You don't think God has you? You don't think God has better for you than what you have right now? Because here's the problem. We think that what we're letting go of is better than what God has for us tomorrow. Listen, everything that you're willing to let go of here today is in preparation for you to be with God in glory tomorrow. Egypt is the southwestern neighbor of Judea. Joseph is in Bethlehem with his family, with Mary and with Jesus. So Egypt is actually the closest place that they could escape to. Now, though Egypt was at this time a Roman province under the control of the Roman Empire, Herod had no authority outside of his jurisdiction. His power was only limited to the area, the province of Judea. He wasn't able to pursue Jesus outside of his territory of control. So Joseph and his family, they travel around 240 kilometers more than a week's journey to get to the nearest part of Egypt. Many believe that they would have stayed in Alexandria because one-third of the population there was Jewish in the first century. One Jewish philosopher named Philo, who lived in Alexandria during the first century, says that there were nearly one million Jews living there. It was likely that this is where Joseph, Mary, and Jesus end up. We don't know. I'm not saying that's where they were, but it's likely. We don't even know how long they stay in Egypt. Joseph wastes no time getting his family to Egypt. He demonstrates immediate obedience while embracing risk you see traveling alone and by night was extremely dangerous people usually traveled during the day and by caravan in groups of people to ensure that everybody was safe yet joseph in obedience to god's command does what most people would have avoided doing he actually puts his family in harm's way did you hear me Joseph puts his family in harm's way. Why? Because though there was the threat of thieves at night stealing from them, there was a greater threat. Herod wants to kill Jesus. And so Joseph needs to know how to act. 
even while embracing and accepting the fact that there will be risk. Listen. Obedience is not always easy for us or for our families. Men, as the head of his family, Joseph is the one who is responsible for Mary and Jesus. And he knows that he is the one who must act. Married men, and those of you who aspire to marry one day, you need to understand that you are the head of your family. You are the spiritual leader. We are called by God to lead our families, to both protect them and to provide for their needs. It's incumbent on us to ensure that we do everything through the power and strength that God gives us to lead our families faithfully. And we must be able to navigate difficult decisions and seasons that our households face. We have been mandated by God to lead. And in moments of urgency, we must step up and act with godly courage, standing on the truth of God's word. We will need to make hard decisions to protect and to provide for our families. I pray that each one of us, men, would increasingly become the kind of husbands and fathers that model the character of Christ as we lead our wives and our children. Women, this was a great opportunity for you to say amen. Let it be so. Because we don't see Joseph back down from his responsibility. We see him stepped into it courageously. Men, what about you? What about me? Verse 15a. And remained there until the death of Herod. This is God's divine protection to have Joseph, Mary, and Jesus stay in Egypt until the death of Herod. Not only does Joseph need to wait to hear from the Lord about when to return to Israel, but now we know what has to happen before the Lord speaks to Joseph. Joseph and his family must stay in Egypt and wait for Herod to die. Once the evil king dies, the threat upon the life of Jesus is over, and it will be safe for them to return to Israel. Herod's death brings relief. And God is sovereignly working this out. Finally, the second part of verse 15, a God who calls a son. In verse 15b, Jesus, Matthew quotes the Old Testament prophecy that speaks about Jesus, the Son of God, coming out of Egypt. Look at what it says. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I call my son. Matthew's quoting Hosea chapter 11, 
verse 1 that says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Hosea was an Old Testament prophet who lived in the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, he was a contemporary of Micah. How many of you guys remember Micah? We talked about him last week in his prophecy, remember? Micah was in the southern part of Israel, in the region of Judea. Hosea prophesied God's judgment on the people of the northern kingdom of Israel because they had given themselves over to idol worship. They repeatedly turned away from God to follow the pagan gods of the surrounding nations, living as if they weren't God's people. The book of, of Hosea is structured around five repetitive cycles of seeing God bring judgment upon his people for their wayward hearts to then call them to repentance so that he can restore them back to himself because of his great love for them. Probably more than anyone else in the Bible, God uses Hosea's own life to depict this reality by commanding him to marry a woman named Gomer who would eventually betray him. Hosea chooses to forgive his unfaithful wife by taking her back to demonstrate his great love for her. God uses all of this to demonstrate his love for Israel and his willingness to forgive them of their sins. Hosea has three children with Gomer, two sons and a daughter. And God even uses the names of Hosea's children to send specific messages to the people of Israel. You can see this in Hosea chapter 1, verses 4 to 9. Hosea's children's names were Jezreel, which means I will bring judgment on my people. Lo Ruhama, which means I will no longer show mercy to my people. And Lo Ami, which means you are not my people. God uses the names of these children of Hosea to demonstrate how he will respond to the sins of his people. Yet God will forgive them when they repent and turn back to him. Hosea's message is intimately connected to his personal life, which is a reflection of God's relationship with Israel. God does all of this to show his love for his people. It's at the end of this fourth cycle of Israel's sin that God says to the prophet Hosea in chapter 11, verse 1, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. 
in this prophecy, God is looking back upon the history of his people to the moment of the exodus. You guys remember what we already covered? To when the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt and he rescued them because of his great love for them. Remember Jacob, who God changed his name to Israel? Israel took his whole family when there was a famine over all of the land to Egypt. Eventually, they became slaves. And over the next 400 years, the group of 70 people that came from his family become close to 2 million. And as the people faced Egyptian bondage, they cry out to God for deliverance. And he raises up a deliverer for them, Moses. And it was during this time in Egypt that Israel became a child, growing to become a nation. This is where God formed them to become a nation. And God actually sees his people as his son because the people of Israel belong to him and he deeply loves them. They have always been his and he calls them his son. And God rescues his son from out of Egypt by rescuing them through the deliverer. Why does God do all of this? He does all of this because he loves his son, the people of Israel. Now Matthew, he uses this same prophecy. And he says in 15b, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. The day has now come for this same prophecy to find its fulfillment in the person of Jesus who is the Son of God. So Hosea's prophecy, like most prophecies, has its immediate fulfillment in the people of Israel and its ultimate fulfillment in the person of Jesus. Hosea himself envisioned the day when God would come to visit his people and to save them, and now this day has come. Because Jesus, the Son of God, has been born. And God has sent his son Jesus to Egypt so that he would not face danger. So that one day God would call his son once again out of Egypt. Out of Egypt I called my son. So that in the same way that God protected Israel, his son in the Old Testament... He is now protecting his son, Jesus, in the New Testament. God envisions the day when he will call his son out of Egypt to come back into the land of Israel. You see, Matthew is already foreshadowing what we're going to see in verses 19 to 21. Just look with me. But when Herod died... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. 
And he arose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is the Son of God. And God is the one who gave His Son to the world. And we see that, that God the Father protects His Son until His Son is ready to give His life for the world. We all know the most quoted verses in the Bible, don't we? John three sixteen and 17 that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. God the Father sends his son Jesus into the world to save it. And until that moment our text shows us how God the Father sovereignly protects his son until the moment when the son is ready to lay down his life. Jesus says this very same thing in John chapter 10, verse 17. For this reason, the father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. Jesus, (laughs) the son has come. And he's come in submission to God the Father to accomplish the will of God the Father. And because of God's love for Jesus and for his plan of salvation, he protects his son and then calls him out of Egypt at the right time. See, God acts because he loves his son. He is responsible for the well-being of his son. You see, Matthew wants us to know that all of Israel's history ultimately finds both its purpose and fulfillment in the person of Jesus. And so in our text today, we see the providence of God. He knows that there will be a threat on the life of his son, Jesus. You see, the truth is, The Christmas story isn't just about King Jesus entering the world. It's also about how the sinful world responds to his coming. And we see two different responses. The sinful world first responds with worship and joy. In Matthew, we see the Magi respond by traveling a far distance to come in to worship Jesus. They come and they prostrate themselves before him humbly and they bring treasures as a sign of their worship. In the Gospel of Luke, we see the shepherds come to worship Jesus as they are visited by the host of angels who disclose that the Savior, Jesus, was born. When Jesus is presented in the temple, 40 days after his birth and when Mary's time of purification was over. God speaks to both Simeon, a devout man, and to Anna, a prophetess, that the Lord's anointed had come. 
And they both rejoice, filled with joy, that Jesus, the Son of God, the King and Shepherd of His people, has come. But we also see that sinful men respond with evil. Herod wants to kill Jesus. And it's because of this that God has to sovereignly intervene to protect his son. Jesus is not only our king and shepherd. He is also the son of God. The one who has come from God. The one that we learn about in Philippians who came and emptied himself from being God to take on the form of a servant to go to the cross for you and I. Stand with me. But please, we cannot be deceived or tricked. Not everyone is thrilled that Jesus has come. Not everyone is joyfully worshiping with hope that the Savior has entered the world. And yet, in the same way as God has kept the son of his life, Jesus, in his firm grip, he will also hold your hand, your life, and my life in his firm grip. Amen? We, like Joseph, must just be committed to doing one thing. Obey. And obey when it's hard. And obey when we need to take risk. And obey understanding that there is urgency so often of what God asks us to do. We shouldn't be worried about how much time it might take or how long we might be on a journey with Christ. What we must instead focus on is what has God asked me to do so that I can do it immediately. Why? So that you and I can experience, just like Joseph and his family, God's protection in our lives. Because Jesus, the Son of God, has come. And he has come to lay down his life for us. God, we thank you so much for your word today. And we thank you as we look at your sovereignty, how you orchestrated the events of history to protect your son, Jesus Christ. How you spoke to the Magi not to go back into Jerusalem. How you spoke to Joseph in a dream. How you got his attention. You told him where to go. You told him how long he was going to be there. And you even told him why. And then we see Joseph respond with obedience immediately because he understands the urgency, God, of the situation, of the danger that he and his family are under. God, give us this same desire to want to obey you, Lord God, in our lives. To do what it is we so clearly see your word command us to do. And to know that you, God, will bring your son, Jesus Christ, out of Egypt and that you will keep him in your firm grip so that one day he will give his life for us. God, please help us not forget that we must respond to this Christmas story. And we pray that you would help us respond with worship and with rejoicing. So Father God, we pray that we would respond now by singing to you with all that is in us, God. Feel us for the glory of your name. Amen. Let's worship God together.